the thing you have to keep in mind with TikTok is people are there exclusively to consume content and get something out of that, whether that's entertainment, education, buying something. The key for TikTok too is just like keeping it real. Overproduction is what people don't like to see on TikTok and they just kind of swipe right away. Putting your face within the first few seconds, like so people see who's the one making this video and then leaving something to be desired that the person will watch the whole video all the way through. Those two are like the keys to having a video that does well on TikTok. What I've digested it down to is just providing non-stop value. I go through each of my videos and I cut 90% of them to make sure that every time I'm talking, it's leading up to a point or garnishing some sort of interest. Hey retailers, ever feel like your shopper experience feels just like everyone else's? Here's an idea. Put your shopper first with the only personalization platform that is purpose-built for retailers. Bluecore combines retail data and predictive intelligence to match online shoppers with the products they will buy next across channels like email, site, paid media, social, and SMS. Automate and scale your personalized content offers and recommendations for each shopper in a one-on-one -on -one individualized experience. Visit bluecore.com to see why brands like Noble, Express, and Bliss have gone shopper first to drive repeat purchases and increase customer lifetime value. Hello and welcome to All Killer No Filler. It is Wednesday today. This is Eric, and I'm here with the extended D2C Pilot House team uh, in a whole new area, in a place that we haven't really talked a lot about of. We've got uh, Brett from Team Helmkin, who also happens to be an independent burgeoning influencer. Uh, we also have Marina, who is an independent influencer who also works with both Helmkin as well as D2C directly on all of our ads. And then, of course, we have Spencer from the Pilot House TikTok team. Welcome, everyone. Why don't we, Marina, can we just start with you? Can you tell me your story of becoming an influencer? How did you get into creator influencer marketing? Yeah, so my story is a bit unique. Um, well, I, I joined TikTok in 2020, like when the pandemic was starting, March 2020. I was like, you know, let me check out this new platform. Let's make some content. And I was just making content that I found interesting to myself. But TikTok is so unique because you can actually like show up on the pages of people who don't follow you. So I ended up reaching a ton of people, got a huge audience. And then from there, I started thinking about like, how can I use this to my advantage in terms of business. So my I will first say video, that you, you reached me with your yeah. TikTok roll up the rim video. We were talking yeah, about how the so new funny. the roll up the rim is now digital, which is useless. Uh, that's not my son. As, no, as exactly. <laughs> I love making like trend videos relate to different things. Like my niche is kind of just like Canadian jokes and things to do in Toronto, things like that. So it's so cool that I reached you. That's so fun. But yeah, once you have that audience, I feel like you can just do so much on TikTok in terms of business. Very cool. And I want to get into the monetization side you pursued, but Brett, why don't we go to you and uh, tell us your TikTok origin story? Yeah, my, my TikTok origin story is <clears throat> pretty unique and, and fairly green. I'm only a, about a month into actually using TikTok, never mind being a creator. Um, but I have a whole bunch of really weird hobbies that are extremely niche, like uh, the one that my TikTok's focused around is smart home and home automation, a bunch of other really weird things like building custom keyboards and things like that, things that I wouldn't have thought many people would care about. But due to being such an extreme passion of mine, I made a one-off video about how I automated my coffee maker at my house. And I woke up overnight to over 500,000 views on it, literally out of absolute nowhere. I made the video 100% out of passion, didn't really look at it through a marketer's lens, which I think was a, a big key. And which is I, so ironic because you are the most marketing minded person I maybe have ever met. Yeah, which is 
again, I think part of the reason for the success, honestly, but um, it was very much so just out of passion. I wanted to share it with just a few people. Um, and, and like Marina said, just the way how TikTok works and how it distributes content and finds those audiences overnight, 500,000 views. And then since then, I've been really focusing on that niche of smart home, really focusing on content that's interesting, engaging, easy to understand for anybody looking in on it. And it's really just been uh, a rather parabolic growth from really like honestly day one of creating the account to 30 days later now, it's just been constantly straight upwards. And what is it? What is it in terms of followers now? Uh, I think I'm at 210,000. And what about you, Marina? I'm at 47,000, 47.5, I think. So Brett has surpassed me very quickly. <laughs> you, you might need to get into home automation. You could just start putting those little tags all around. <laughs> it's it's very interesting. Like, okay, let's talk about monetization quickly then as well. So Marina, you, you started with the passion. You built up your, your fan group. What, what was your first move into monetization? So really all that I did was like I put my email address in my bio and then from there like the offers just started coming in. I was never one to reach out to brands, but as soon as I did that, I had so many emails being like, let's work together, you know, I can offer this for this. And then it really opened my eyes to to how much potential there was there. But it wasn't my goal, so I never was reaching out, but just doing that one thing like changed everything for me. You're like your following is great, but you're really I don't know, you're a creator and like just the quality of the work you're doing for us on uh, the D2C side. I, I'm just curious, like how many videos do you generally make in a day? Oh, my gosh. In a day, I'd say like at least five every day. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, wild. Just, I know I have to like be creating all the time. I'm working on so many projects all, all at once and I try to get out. Yeah, I would say minimum five a day. That's wild. What's your creating schedule that like there, Brett? Still in, in the works. I, I try to film at least one piece of content a day. I'm working on building a, a schedule for myself to make it more more process driven, but at, at least one a day that I'll either use or, or bundle into a larger video that everything's compiled into. But yeah, I try to stick to the one a day. It seems like frequency is a pretty big part in TikTok. So I try to stay on top of that and at least daily. And Brett, with your deep niche focus, you know, we were talking about this before, you're, you have the, the three circles overlapping, like something that you're good at, something that other people are interested in, and something that monetizes kind of all fits together there. Have you actually had an opportunity to monetize yet? How are you thinking about monetizing this uh, play? Yeah, um, there's been lots of opportunities there. I'm trying to stick with the original sentiment in which... I saw success in not looking at this through a marketer's lens. Um, obviously, as soon as you start seeing these views come in, you think about it in regards to CPMs and you think of those people as customers, but I'm really trying to separate my six years of marketing experience and look at it through, look at it as still a passion project and as a content creator. Um, and that's really kind of shifted how I've approached monetization. I, same as Marina, I put my, put an email in my bio, all that to have brands be able to contact me. Um, but one of the things I have done from scratch is make sure that I have all quick tracking in place, conversion rate tracking and, and everything all there right off the bat. Um, because my niche is fortunately so product focused, I have also been doing product recommendations in my bio, not even based on my own need to monetize, but really just based on my viewers' demands. Everybody wants to buy, wants to learn how this stuff works. And just off that alone, I've been using affiliate links through brands that I, I'm aware of and just through Amazon alone. And that by itself has, has shown a lot of promise. Um, as a marketer, the 
stats are pretty absurd. Where can you flex on them? Are you able to say them? What what sort of revenue? Uh, I, 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 I'll avoid saying any like hard numbers, but the craziest thing I've seen as a marketer that just blows my mind and I still can't wrap my head around it is there my conversion rate from click to a product to purchase is about twenty percent from a click to a purchase. Now coming from a, a paid media world where you see four or five percent and you're laughing to the bank. The fact that these clicks are coming in and 20% click to purchase is just absolutely insane. And I think that's seeded in a few different things. Obviously, the intent brought on by the users, I think the, the genuine, I don't want to say transparency, but like the fact that it's not coming from an ad, it's not coming, it's, they're not being sold to, they're seeing this thing, garnishing that interest, building that interest in the product, clicking through the product all on their own accord. I think that has a huge, huge effect and it really just goes to show I mean, we hear in the paid media world, people singing about organic traffic and its effectiveness. And this really is just opening my eyes to that and how truly effective it is. Very cool. And Spencer, to bring you into the conversation, I know actually, remembering back, you've dabbled in some creating on TikTok as well, have you? Mostly just for the brands that they were advertising for. Um, I've, I've gotten up and you know, tried my hand. Uh, I was a little bit offended when you didn't ask what my following was on TikTok. It's about four. Yeah, what is your 404, following? I think. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember. <laughs> Um, I have one video that has six figures, but it was a total just random video I filmed of like a log rolling in the sea that has like an eyeball on it. And I put it to like uh, X-Files music. So I got all these like conspiracy theories from Mexico because I thought I think it was Spanish, uh, the, the caption I put on it. So I have hundreds of thousands of views on that. It's not really helping me, I don't think, though. Interesting. You're not hitting the right uh, the right demo with that one, you don't think? <laughs> no, n no, not that. I'll have to do that on my alt account. Maybe it'll do better. Yeah, but uh, from uh, from the advertiser's side... Uh, it's super helpful to uh, and like valuable to get a feel for like what the creators are, um, what the intent behind the the content is, and then how you can kind of utilize that as a advertiser. You know, it, it, and then it's also useful as like creators themselves to like try to position their content as best they they can. Brett, for example, is like really staying within his his niche, and like you know, imagine if you were a smart napkin holder company and you want to reach out to Brett and then like, perfect, that that's amazing. Um, or pretty much exactly like Brett's doing, putting uh, putting links in his bio. I know that Podhouse works with a, a brand that started putting out affiliate links pretty much just like Brett's doing. And somebody picked it up, made an organic uh, video for it. It was, like a, uh, it was like a kitchen utensil kind of thing, a little quirky little kitchen utensil. And it absolutely blew up their, their Amazon product page for that. I think it hit, you know, it became like their staple product. It ended up getting like tens of thousands of dollars in revenue just from that one uh, video. And it just like absolutely blew up. So the brands are happy. The creator was, was happy and able to utilize their organic growth. Um, so it's, it's all really cool. Very cool. Marina, you mentioned five, you're aiming for five videos a day. How much do you plan these out? Or is it like every time you, you know, okay, got to make a video, is it like blank canvas, figure it out, figure out what trends, apply it? Like how much planning goes into creating five videos a day? Or do you just throw Shrek on all of them? Yeah, <laughs> Shrek. <laughs> Shrek is always my go-to. No, um, it's really hard, honestly, to plan things out because every week I'm working on different projects. But I find what's easiest for me is to have like one full day of planning. I usually do this on like a Monday at the beginning of the week. And then I have two days a week, just like a full day of filming. So like if I'm doing my hair and makeup that day, like I'm filming for every brand that day. Um, and then I'm switching outfits, whatnot, and I'm trying to get everything done. Like I think that filming takes the longest for me. So I try to do that 
for really a full day and then the editing is just on the other days and that's when I kind of pump out the videos so week to week it's kind of different but I do definitely aim for like two full days of filming just to get that content in impressive and, and Brett I was talking with you uh one time over a drink and you were mentioning how you're sort of planning out your content how do you think about content planning on the TikTok side yeah, it's it's really interesting actually because the nice one of my favorite things about TikTok so far is how receptive and kind of two-way conversations you have with your audience. There's so especially in a, a niche like I'm working in where I'm presenting a lot of information and, and opening that up to for people to interpret and and digest themselves. There is just so much in the comments and interaction with people and questions to be answered. So when I plan out my content, I've, I've kind of filtered into three separate sections. I have my videos that I kind of plan on going viral. Like they have the, all the pieces there. They're engaging, they're cool, they're actionable, they're stuff you want to see. I have videos that actually provide a ton of value in my niche, really in-depth, high-level explaining stuff to that really core audience of people that want to see it. And then what is starting to take up a whole bunch of my time is just follow-ups on existing niches and videos. One of my most viral videos, I've probably made 20, 30 videos, literally just following up from questions and questions and questions and new ideas that people bring up. Can you make the toilet flush with one of these things? I I saw that was a very popular response to that thread. Yeah, it's, it's really like when I first started off, I made the first viral video, I built a huge list. So I was like, this is exactly what I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it here, then, then this. But it's, it's so dynamic and fluid based on where your users see the interest and comments that people bring up and ideas that that brings up to you. So very, very similar to Marina. It's really kind of off the cuff at this point where I, the most planning I'll do is I'll have, I have a big note sheet of rough ideas and I'll kind of pick from that based on what I think is going to fit the landscape that I'm working in right now or what people are demanding. Tax season is over, but that doesn't mean your e-commerce company shouldn't stay on top of things. It's a hassle trying to find a strategic tax advisor that can ensure you have the right financial data needed to make critical business decisions. Look no further. The veteran team at 1-800-ACCOUNTANT has your back. Boost your profitability with 1-800-ACCOUNTANT, America's largest virtual accounting firm. They have the on-demand accountants you need to formulate your year-round tax strategy. They offer an entire suite of professional services, including payroll and bookkeeping, to make sure that your I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Get started today by scheduling a free appointment at 1-800-accountant.com DTC. Speak to an expert who will show you how to get the most out of your business year-round. That's 1-800-accountant.com DTC to schedule an appointment now. So what's the anatomy then of one of the, of your viral category? Like, what is it? And this kind of goes into the one question about like the hooks and the, the things that you've used over time to know when you're aiming for a viral video. Like, what are you doing to those videos that you, that you really think are going to make them viral? Uh, it, it's interesting. I would say this is the one thing that I do pull inspiration from the paid marketing side. And it's, it's really like TikTok. The thing you have to keep in mind of TikTok is like people are there exclusively to consume content. And, and get something out of that, whether that's entertainment, education, um, learning something new, buying something. So really what I've kind of digested it down to is just providing non-stop value what, and making sure like really I go through each of my videos and I cut probably 90% of them to make sure that every time I'm talking it's leading up to a, a point or garnishing some sort of interest. Always like to open strong with what it is and what I'm talking about and what is gonna be achieved. 
especially in like the smart home stuff that I work in where a lot of it's super technical, making sure right off the bat to show the thing in action, engage that user within the first five seconds so they don't swipe away and make sure to kind of taper it into the longer form value content to make sure to engage them immediately. And you use, you use hooks too, right? You use your spin, you put your arm out and spin around like and smile kind of geeky into the camera, right? Like you have specific things that you do that kind of soften people up, I think, right? Yeah, and the reason I do that, and this is, I just saw that on one video ages ago and I've been using it now. I use, I kind of, at the start of my videos, I do like a title screen that tells you exactly what it's gonna be and what you're gonna see right away. So it's not, there's not 10 seconds of me explaining it and you're like, oh, who's this? due to the beanie, I'm gonna swipe past them. You're within seconds, the text is there on the screen, this is what the video is gonna be on, leave some to be desired, like I'll never say like, here's how I made my smart toilet flush automatically. It's like, you won't believe how I hacked my toilet with $5 electronics. <laughs> it's like it's like that sort of thing where you realize- Still a marketer. You realize what's gonna happen, you're telling them what they're gonna see, but they have to watch it to actually see it and see it all come to fruition. Because it's, again, you have to think, it's, it's even more so than Instagram or even more so than Facebook or YouTube. It is so easy to scroll by and it's programmed in people to just swipe, 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 swipe. To give somebody a reason not to do that is hard. You need to stand out in a pretty big way and engaging them early enough to not do that and have them leave them wanting something, I think is like the biggest kind of key that I've, and that doesn't something I want to go viral. Again, there's times where I'm making a video to explain a really in-depth piece of content to where I'm not so much worried about that and it's only here to show to the people that want to see it. That's a little bit of a different uh, anatomy as far as video goes. And then other times you're just doing fan service. Literally, you're, you know, you're, you're speaking, you know, keeping your fans up to date with your life and things like that, which, which I also appreciate as a, as an avid watcher of Brett now. And that's just me messing around trying to figure out like, where's my line? What do people like to see? I'm trying to keep hard to that being a genuine influencer and not a marketer and like, Hey, Here's me, here's what I'm doing, here's here's about trying to figure out what are people interested in. And there's there's quite a few people that I've learned that are just watching it for the content and trying to push my line around, figure out can I do non-smart home related videos and trying to figure all that out. Yeah, I think that's also like the key for TikTok too is just like keeping it so real. Um, honestly, I think like overproduction is what people don't like to see on TikTok and they just kind of swipe right away. But I can definitely agree with what Brett said, is like putting your face within the first few seconds, like so people see who who's the one making this video, and then leaving something to be desired that person will, will watch the whole video all the way through is like really those two are like the keys to having a video that that does well on TikTok from my experience too. What has been? Can you guys talk about your your most successful videos to date and what they were and what made them so successful? Well, honestly, my most successful video is kind of similar to your log video. Like the video that I have the most views on is 3.8 million. And it's literally a video of like a wax seal that I put on like an envelope, like stamping an envelope with a wax seal. And it went viral in like some random country and all the comments were in a different language. And I have no idea what they say still. So random. It doesn't really help me on my videos now to this date, but it's just kind of funny to see how TikTok works. And like in terms of visuals, I guess. That's just something that's like nice to watch, like somebody making a wax seal. So that was something that stood out. I'm like, okay, well, my videos need to be like aesthetically pleasing to get the views. But unfortunately, that's like my most viewed video. It has nothing to do with any of the rest of my content, but it's just kind of You funny. should maybe start a wax seal company. I maybe think I people, people like that authenticity. Those seal of authenticity has never been more important in this world of weird so things true. going on. So yeah, maybe, maybe I should go that route. <laughs> I think the universe is telling you that. Uh, I think so. 
Brett, for you, I think it's funny. One of the most popular things in that I always see come up in popular culture are Rube Goldberg machines. You know what a Rube Goldberg machine is? It's something that does something and then it hits a maze and then it does something else and then a ball bounces down and it does this thing. If you did that with all smart devices, you could just you could be like the new OK Go. You'd just, you know, it'd be huge. Okay. I'll add it to my, my video idea. I love it. <laughs> OK, that's great. What So I was actually curious with you, Marina, what percentage are you focused on your videos that you're making for brands? Because you're probably working with, with several brands at this point. Um, how much is your focus on making those videos versus making videos for your personal following? Yeah, so I kind of have like, basically, I'm mostly working with brands. That's like my priority. So I do two kind of different separate things. I either partner up with a brand and then I post it on my personal account, you know, either I'll just, it'll be a paid collaboration, then maybe I'll have like an affiliate link from that. So it'll be my personal, still my personal uh, brand, but working with another brand as well. And then I also work with different agencies, like for example, with Helmkin, I make these videos to be posted on other accounts. So um, I'll work with, I'll make some videos, but it won't be posted on my personal brand. So right now I'd say the split is probably... 70% you know working on branded content and then the 30% working on my own personal things but um, it takes more planning to work on branded stuff so I try to get that done first and then you know some of the things can still apply to my personal brand but yeah my focus now is really just working with brands mostly and not so much in my personal account but I try to keep the balance as much as I can. Very cool. Have you ever boosted a post on your personal account using a Spark post? Yeah, I did. Bo I boosted a post. Um, I've only done it once, actually, and it ended up working out pretty well. It was one of the posts where I had, I also had like affiliate links. So I really wanted people to see that post and kind of like click on the link. Um, I did do well, but for the most part, I try to keep things as organic as possible on my own account. So Spencer, when you're, you know, from the ad side, when you're working with clients on their organic content, as well as the ads, what's your, what's your strategy with boosting organic content? Well, it can be a little bit tricky, I've found. And the, the tricky part with boosting or like a, what TikTok calls it as spark ads, um, is that typically what we've kind of seen work really well in the organic and what you kind of want to be a successful organic ad to like go viral. Uh, it kind of has a certain cadence to it and a certain branding and like how hard it actually pushes the product, uh, I guess. Um, you know, you kind of want it to lean towards like, well, Brett's pushing stuff. Like he's not going like, here's my, here's my code. You can go check it out and like leading with all that. It's value based first. And then on the paid side, there's kind of, you want to, you want to kind of <laughs> toy that line where you're, tr where you're still hitting that organic feeling. But then there is a bit more sales that that's needed uh, to kind of push those those sales through, um, at least when you like boost it in a Spark ad. So uh, the strategy that that I've kind of suggested for our brands is that one doesn't necessarily need the other the other to succeed, but then they can play well to like help each other's strategies. I guess specifically on the paid side using the organic. So just go, hey, why don't you go ahead and, and we can help you come up with ideas and, and whatever it might be for uh, some organic posts, but then the, the goal should be to blow it up organically. And then we can take all those creatives, put them into Spark ads and see how they do on uh, like as Spark ads and just kind of add one extra layer to creative testing. And we've had, we've had videos where, you know, they got millions of views and we put them in Spark ads and just like the click through rates horrible. It's like people aren't uh, engaging. There's, there's no sales coming through it. And then we've had vice versa, where it just doesn't do well organically, and then we use it as Spark ads, and it does really well. So it, it does make it tricky to 
try and win on both on both ends of trying to make uh, an organic post for a brand that that takes off and goes and goes viral and then um, used as a spark ad and it and it shows success as well. Now I'm sure that there are cases where that's not that's not the case. There's probably people that uh, have a ton of success um, doing that, but that's just from our experience. I could just make a small comment on that as well because I recently tested this just a few days ago in boosting one of my kind of median posts with the paid boost, Spark, whatever. Um, very ineffective, I found. And the reason being, it just hit an entirely different audience than my organic traffic normally would have. There may be ways to optimize that, but even just looking at high-level audience insights, totally different audience. It really was optimizing for things like views and likes. But as far as the actual people that I wanted to be hitting that were going to enjoy the content, comment on it, um, click through links and then purchase products, it just seemed to have hit a totally separate group of people that didn't engage with it at all. Interesting. Now, I, I think that in terms of our listeners, the thing that I hear the most uh, is how, you know, marketers are, you know, we can hook up an ad and press a button and get our ads to work. But when it comes to actually outreach and, and getting people to make ads and the, the, the communication that's required to get really well-made ads, like how many, do you turn down a lot of advertisers, Marina? Do you have advertisers that come to you and you're like, what I'm trying to figure out is like, does the outreach matter that much? Or does it really just come down to a product that you're really keen on working with? Yeah, there's definitely a mix of both. Um, I find like the, the best kind of outreach I get is when, well, via email, first of all, because sometimes I'll get DM requests, but like, it's too hard to keep track of that. So directly to the email is the best way to, to reach somebody, I, I would say. Um, and just like the clarity and all. So if the subject line will say, you know, exactly what the product is, I'm more keen to open it. And then also, I like when brands attach a brief outlining exactly what they're looking for in terms of deliverables. Um, because I've got, gotten some emails where I've just gotten a link and it's like, oh, I think you'd be good to our to represent our brand our brand is this name and they don't even tell me anything else about it. So in that case where I have to do more work on my end and like dig through things to see like what I'm going to get out of the partnership or, you know, if it's something that I want to work in, if I have to do more work, I'll probably say no. I've definitely denied a, a few requests, but um, for the most part, as soon as a brand has a brief that's really clear um, and it describes the brand itself too, it gives me all the talking points I need to hit right in one place. I find that to be the most effective way. And then I do end up working with these brands in most cases. Very cool. I guess any influencers that have their emails in their bios, that's the tip. If you've got their emails in their bios, they're probably open for business um, Definitely. and reach out. And, and as you say, Brett, you haven't yet monetized. So you have, have you had any interest? You've had, a, I bet you've had a few interesting reach outs so far. I, I get lots of interest um, just for, I mean, the way I look at it is I can't really go back once I start going down the branded route. Like if, if I still have this brand virginity over the top of my head that I think, um, adds a lot of like, I think it might be helping me, it might not, but my thing is once I go down that road, I can't go back. But um, I have worked with two brands in, in a, a very subtle way. Um, a lot, I really try to stay focused with brands that I already use and commit to, but there definitely is a pretty big polarizing difference, like Marina said, in the ones that you'd be willing to work with and ones that not. There's a lot of companies that just basically email out, like you could tell it was emailed to 50 emails from a list and they're kind of tone deaf to what your niche is. They haven't really watched your videos. They're just kind of like, here's X amount of dollars, post this, and then they don't even like respond well to follow-ups. And then there's those brands that say, hey, we watched your content, here's why we think it'd be a good fit, here's kind of what we want, blah, blah, blah. And you can tell we'll be more open to a dialogue and more open to conversation. I'd say like there, there's definitely that polarizing split, 
Um, and then there's kind of like that next step of working with brands that fit in your niche or brands that you'd be happy with representing and filtering through. And there's, yeah, there, there's definitely a, a ton of outreach there and a lot of opportunity and there's room to be picky. And your play is probably best. Like I was thinking about Marquis Brownlee the other day, the guy's way well, he's got like tens of millions of followers on YouTube at this point. And again, he's probably main remained neutral that like he probably has, he has his favorite phones and things like that, but he hasn't been, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't been advertising specifically. He's just been talking about what products are best. And that's in the long run, probably your best play. Exactly. And I mean, that comes at the, the burden of having to turn down potentially lucrative offers. But again, it's all thinking about, and I'm still trying to figure this all out, the actual value that your brand and your, your, yourself and your channel actually has opposed to that dollar value that you'll be getting in excess to sacrifice that. And I'm trying to figure out where that line is. And I think that is the most important balance um, when having something that has that intrinsic value that is your brand and your face um, and figuring out how to weigh those things. This, this is a bit of a controversial topic, and I, Brett touched on it because you know, with his organic uh, niche-focused thing, his contents, I've been on his page. I haven't seen someone say anything nasty to you, Brett. I'm sure there's a few people on your comment saying nasty things. Whereas, Marina, I, you made a comment the other day uh, uh, you know, in our, in our Slack about the comments on some of your posts and how nasty people can be. What, Marina, what's your experience in the comments on, on your videos? And do you look at the comments on the videos on your ads? Okay, so yeah, I found that TikTok was just like I got so many rude comments on my personal content more than I've ever seen on social media before. I've signed up to like every social media possible. I never see stuff like this on Instagram, so I don't know what it is about TikTok, but I swear people will just like go off on you about something so random. So at this point, I got used to it. I'm kind of just like, it is what it is. But on, on my ads, when I started working with Helmkin, I started seeing some of the ads on something or the comments on some of the ads. And I was just like, you know what, it's better off if I just don't look because in the end, it's not like constructive criticism or anything like that. I'm just kind of like, I'd rather not know. <laughs> so from now on, I just haven't been haven't been looking. But uh, yeah, I mean, if there's feedback that I can like take into consideration, I, I love to look at the comments. But when it's just like, pointless, mean stuff. I'm like misogyny as it sometimes tends to be. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand why, but, uh, for me, yeah, I've just avoided looking at this point. Spencer, you coined the term like, uh, like comments, PTSD. Cause I think you've been in enough videos, Brett, before your influencer career, you had a long, you know, you had a long career as a, as an ad maker, you made a lot of ads for various pilot house brands and things like that. And I'm sure, I'm sure you've had a few nasty comments. Oh yeah, especially on and on the ad side of things, I think it's a little bit different too. I mean, it's one thing on your personal content and you're making something for, but on the on the ad side of things, your your goals and your KPIs are are so much different, right? And the comments are ads immediately just by way of being ads shift the sentiment in the way people perceive them. Where I think you look at it from a business perspective, and if comment says, "Hey, your page is broken. This is terrible." process that in a certain way that's focused on improving your brand. But as, as, yeah, as far as taking it personally or letting it bother you on the ad, with ad side of things, I think it's best to take the Marina approach and just horse blinders and not, not worry about it on that front. Nice. Well, very cool. Thank you for coming on the uh, All Killer No Filler D2C podcast today. Um, we'll put your, if you don't mind, we'll put your your links in in the in the episode show notes here. I bet there's lots of brands out there, you know, would be interested in being Brett Brett's first uh, you know, <laughs> sponsorship or monetization, as he was mentioning. And Marina's very busy, but you never know. There may, if you're a great brand out there, she may have time for uh, for a few creations. As long as she doesn't stop making ads for D2C, because they're one of my favorite parts of of what we do. Definitely, definitely. So, 
Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.